comes from you, Lord, and and, and uh, help us to be good stewards of, of the things that you've given us and the finances that we, we have. And, and I pray that these offerings would be given unto you as a blessing, God, uh, that, that you would take and, and truly... God, use it for the right purpose for people to come and know you. God, we want people to be able to experience the freedom and the love that you have, God. Uh, And we take this offering and and, and bless it unto you for that. Pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, let's check out these announcements. Hi, I'm Renee. Welcome to Church at Briargate. We are so excited that you're here spending part of your weekend with us. Let me tell you about a few events that are coming up. Our next ladies' luncheon is this upcoming Tuesday from 12 to 1.30 p.m. Ladies, please use a simple sign-up if you'd like to attend and join us for a time of scrumptious food and great fellowship. If you are a mother, grandmother, adoptive mother, or a mother figure, you are invited to the Royal Rangers Mother's Day Banquet. It will be held at the church on Saturday, May 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. Come enjoy good food and entertainment, all provided by the Royal Rangers. Please reserve your spot by using the simple sign-up found in your bulletin. If you are graduating high school or college, we want to honor you. Graduation Sunday is happening on May 20th during both of our morning services. Please use the simple sign-up in your bulletin by May 13th and I will contact you with more information. Thanks again for worshiping with us today. For more information about any of our events, be sure to check the bulletin or visit our website churchatbriargate.org. You can also stay connected by liking us on Facebook. Have a great week. Well, good morning. So to bring you up to speed with uh, India, the whole country, I'm going to go over every person, is uh, Jerry and Nerd got to India t- uh, um, recently, and uh, they got to Ramperhut, the city where we're putting the church, yesterday, our yesterday afternoon, our yesterday morning. And so they're there now. It's, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're looking at the stuff. They've already been sending me pictures. We're going to show you pictures next week of some of the stuff that's happening. It's actually progressing very nicely. Uh, we were wondering, until you get over there, you don't actually know. They can call you and say, yeah, we started building, but that doesn't mean anything. And so uh, the, the duplex is starting to be built. It's going to be dip, duplex on the bottom. It'll be flat floor on top. In fact, in fact they, they actually built the, uh, I saw some of the pictures of the, of the holes for the uh, pylons, the stanchions for the building, and they're doing it for, designed for the size for four stories, if we need to go four stories uh, with this building, which is, which is good. And uh, so they've got the water, electricity, all that stuff is happening. The, I saw pictures of the well drilling the, the water well there. Our two pastors are pretty excited. They're actually seeing some stuff. Um, but something interesting that happened um, with this, that, that, um, that, that just, it's just interesting and very powerful for us. So to describe this a little bit, Ramperhut is a, uh, a, a, it's considered a rural city, but it's got 400 to 500,000 people in it, okay? We don't think about that as rural in, in this country because of the infrastructure that comes with it. They don't necessarily have all the same stuff. So this is um, the, the city, I, I've been there where when you're leaving the city on this main road that's going to another city, uh, a couple miles outside the city, uh, there's a dirt road, you turn on that dirt road, and about half a mile down that dirt road is our property. And it's pretty much not near anything else. Uh, the, in fact, our property is a rice field. I, I stood out in it right after they had, had uh, harvested the rice. It's, it's just a rice field. 
So, you know, we're thinking about we got to do all this stuff, we got to build this up, we got to put the building and do all these things. And then we're, you know, there's some concerns we're having about the security of our guys when they start building something there. What does that look like for, for their security, personal security, especially if somebody finds out having church services there? It's also out in the, kind of in the middle of nowhere um, just because it's not as, that, that, that's not as much of a uh, transient, portable com, uh, com, culture. And so, we're concerned about this. They found out when they get there that the land next to us, which is between our land and that main road, is they're building a private school on that land, and this is going to be an upper end, um, for their context, an expensive private school uh, for kids, which also along that same road going out of town, out to this piece of property, a lot of businesses are opening up and starting, and they're going to be building all along this road going out. The area that, that Dr. Matthews went to 15 years ago and bought this land that was literally in the middle of nowhere is now going to be the upper end, nicer, more business uh, area of this whole, this whole community area, everything, of this city. And it's going to be right surrounding our land. In fact, the buses, are gonna, they're going to have to make that road wide that goes in front of our land, which they would never have done for us. But for the school, they're going to have to widen that out. The buses are going to be driving in front. The parents are going to be parked in front of our, our church to pick up their kids for this private school. And uh, Jerry and Nur are already talking with our two pastors about what this means strategically, witnessing to these people, how can we reach these families that are coming to the school that God literally is bringing to our property. Uh, none of that was even thought about six months, a year ago. And so it's pretty amazing what's going on there. Uh, all the buildings that we've got, all the money that we need in the country now to, to be pretty sure to finish the structure. And uh, we've still got uh, money, a little bit of money uh, left in the bank here. So we're still trying to get them all the stuff, the generators, motorcycle, sound system. They're doing that this week. They're doing that um, next two or three days. And so I want us to pray for Jerry Nur and the, and the two pastors. Jerry did text me this morning. Nur had already, I talked to him um, uh, yesterday or the day before, something on the phone, and and uh, they were saying, Nerve was saying something about this, but Jerry said yesterday morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, which is the coolest time of the day there, it was 91 degrees at 6 o'clock in the morning, and uh, and it gets sweltering hot uh, where they are, and you know this can just take your strength. It just You just don't want to do all this stuff, and we've got a lot of list of stuff uh, for these two guys to be doing while they're there. And uh, we made the list big because um, they're young guys. They can get to it, um, you know, get it. So uh, so why don't you stand with me and let's pray for these guys. Let's pray for all this stuff and, and let's also thank God. This is, this is an interesting turn of events that we've seen in the two days that they've been there knowing all this other stuff that's happening and how it's expediting a lot of our building stuff. They're, they're a lot more interested in getting the electricity to our property because this very expensive school is going to use that uh, same electricity line. It's just... It's just you just think God is doing this. I mean, you can just kind of sense all of this. And so, so let's pray. God, we thank you first for how big you are, what you're doing here. Lord, we just, we just know as we've just been taking steps toward this for a long time now, Lord, that, that you've been orchestrating this thing from the very beginning. We know that, Lord. And so, God, we thank you for what we are seeing. We thank you for the construction that's happening. We thank you um, just having your hand on all of this, Lord God, and, and for the finances to be there to accomplish this. God, we, we give you glory for every single, every single piece of this. Thank you for, for Santosh and Jasia. Thank you for bringing them to us, bringing them to Ramper Hut, Lord. And God, give them all strength. Nair and Jerry, give them, give them strength in their body and, 
and um, energy, and even through the heat and everything else, Lord, bring them comfort, and let this be enjoyable too, not just getting the work done, but Lord, help us to be very enjoyable to them and be able to speak in our pastor's lives and mentor them a little while they're there and pray with them and connect, and God, we just, we just thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you, Lord God. We give you all glory for this. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to get there in a second. I also did want to mention, I want to dedicate uh, something here. I don't usually do this, but I think this is, um, I think this is an important uh, moment, at least for me. Uh, yesterday, my daughter was saying something to me about Hey, Dad, where's that shirt that looks like a curtain? I haven't seen that in a while. And, uh, and then I think she said something. I, you got a little confusing in here, but it, she said something like, that looks beautiful on you. Would you please wear that? <laughs> and I told her, I'll do this. And not only that, I'm going to dedicate this shirt this morning to my daughter. Where is she? There you go, baby. Because I love you. So... Um, and this one also goes out to the ones I love. I think I'm quoting R.E.M. there. I can't remember. but <clears throat> uh, So I, I want to talk a little bit about this week and next week. But this is part one. Next week's part two. But, but this, is, uh, this is who we are as a church. And next week I'm going to talk a little bit more about We talked about some of this a, a little bit in the services. We talked about this a lot more at like our um, uh, a business meeting and some things like that. So I want to give you the opportunity to, to kind of process this, all of, all of us together as a church, who we are, some of the changes we've been making around here, some of the things that we do are doing. As you notice, we've been doing a lot of aesthetic stuff, uh, a lot of little remodeling and things like that. One of the things we did is we fixed the sheetrock and painted this wall right over here. So, <clears throat> I came in this morning, I was like, Really? It was like a really big zit. I had to pop it this morning and drain it over there. Okay, so I don't know why I said that. So, um, so looking at who we are, some of the things we're doing, some of the things we're trying to really help us to step forward, we, we, need, to, we need to step forward. We, we knew we needed to make some changes, starting with me, how I'm doing some things, some of our structure, all this kind of stuff. I'll talk a lot more about that next week. Um, but but our, our mission statement for a church, Church of Briargate exists. To enable people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally draw close to Jesus Christ and to bring as many others along as possible. Now, we, we simplified that into what we, I guess you could call it a tagline, and uh, we're with some intentionality. And I want to use each half of this tagline. There's two elements to it for this week and for next week, and to give us some kind of understanding of this is we really are seeing things a specific certain way, and this is why. And this is why we're trying to accomplish some of the things, and not just accomplish some of the things that we're doing, but how we're doing it fits into this. So we kind of narrowed this down, simplified it, I guess, not narrowed it down, but simplified it to two basic things, pursuing God and reaching people. Now, I want to I I say kind of what we're not thinking so that we can say what we are thinking and really have a good understanding of this. Um, I, years ago, I had a, a tagline similar to this in a church I was pastoring, and it was basically love God and love others. And I began pr processing that over a lot of years. And when we were trying to simplify uh, this mission statement and say, okay, how can we give it something that you can remember much easier and you can process easier uh, on a regular basis, a daily basis, the idea that we could say love, love God would be part of this. And, and I rejected that. I don't think that's really what we're trying to say. 
That's why we're using the terminology pursuing God. And this is why. In Matthew chapter 22, the, um, <clears throat> the guys come to Jesus and, they, and he says, uh, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, basically puts them together. He includes them together as one thing. But then he does say, this one, this one sets the, the stage. This is the top one. It sets the stage for the next one. And he says, love God with everything about you, heart, soul, mind. Love uh, your neighbor as yourself. And this, this is interesting what we have done culturally in America for so long that theologically it actually changes what we are hearing, what we're understanding. You, you theologically look at this differently because of our cultural semantics of how we approach the word love and the mentality of love. We literally have an idea in America, which, by the way, is not necessarily shared in most places around the world. It's almost a Western culture, not just America, but a Western culture thinking, is that love can be a passive thing, that it can be feeling, just feeling. And yes, I cannot move on without quoting Boston. It's more than a feeling. So, so the reality for us is when we say that we're supposed to love God or I love God or that's what we're supposed to do as a, as a church body is we're supposed to love God. I believe what we're hearing and the way we're extrapolating that is not the same thing as Jesus is saying when he says the greatest commandment is love God with your heart, soul, and your mind. I think we actually take what Jesus is saying, which is a very active, intentional, directional, uh, it, it involves action. There has to be action for that to be uh, uh, having obedience to. And we take it and we put it into a passive mentality and we say that it's a feeling, that it's something that, I, that I, I connect with on an emotive level, but it's not necessarily direction. It doesn't, it, I, can, I can literally do nothing and be completely passive about this and be fulfilling the idea that American church has that I'm loving God like that scripture says. And I believe those are not the same thing. And so we're using the term pursuing God. I, I went online. And I just typed in, define love. And it, hundreds of websites, hundreds of places. And so I just clicked on a couple of them. And you have to be careful when you type in those kind of words. But uh, I, I clicked on a couple of them. Just li- they, they, most of them just had lists and lists of things that was define love. Some of them had like big writings where there was like one definition, but it takes them 20 pages to say it. And, and, but I, I went to some that just had lists, lists of, this is definitions of love. Like somebody had contributed these kind of things. And almost every one of them had a, a, a feeling foundation to it. That, it, that it, there wasn't an action mentality behind it. It didn't, you could tell by the way it's saying it didn't demand anything from the person that was saying, I love. That if this is the definition of love, it doesn't take anything from me. I can feel it, and everything is going to, that is, that's it. I'm, I'm accomplishing everything. I just took two of them. And uh, to read them to you, one was, love is an energy so pure it makes life want to happen. I don't know for sure what that means. Not only does it change tense a couple of times, I don't know who's the subject, who's the recipient, what life is it happening, how does it make life happen? I mean, they're just, I, and you know, maybe I'm just not as enlightened, maybe I'm not as romantic enough. You may be going, wow, that is profound. I don't understand. Another one, love, an eternal, everlasting empathy feeling. Eternal, everlasting empathy feeling. This is the way we kind of process love. Can I love God? According to modern American 
approach to Christianity. We can love God with no action. But when Jesus said, this is the first commandment, love God with your heart, soul, your mind. That, that word, and you've, you've probably heard this, uh, DC Talk made this famous when they sang the song, Love is a Verb. But love is a verb in this, but, which means it demands action. If, if it's a, if it, when Jesus says, you will be loving, that's kind of the, the way he's saying this, with your heart, with your soul, your mind, there has to be some kind of results. There has to be some kind of direction to this, or you can't actually be obedient to that first commandment. Now, we've changed that in America to where we can literally do nothing, have no action, have no responsibility to that, except that I feel God's presence. No, I'm not accountable for anything. I'm not responsible for anything. There's not a direction, but I'm being obedient to that scripture. And then the second part, which is next week, love your neighbor as yourself, reaching others, that somehow we think that that can be a feeling too. Loving your neighbor as yourself. You do not just feel about yourself. You do things for yourself. There is action you have for you. But we turn it around and say, no, as a Christian, when I'm loving my neighbor, I'm feeling good about them. I have a heart for them. And in today's society, we've taken that so long that as long as, so far, that as long as you just feel something, you're a good person. It doesn't matter whether they're doing anything. To, to my thinking, this is the way I look at it. Your neighbor's house is burning down. You know your neighbors are in that house burning down, and you're standing over the side saying, you know what? I love those people. I love them. Anybody else feeling this love for those people in that burning house? I do. I love them. I feel it. I feel, let's stand together. Let's hold hands and, and feel this together. Let's, let's feel this, right? I mean, that's the, way, that's the way we look at this. And God is saying, what? How can you? I've sat in many counseling sessions over the years with couples, married couples. And there's some kind of abuse or adultery or something else. And, and he or she is saying, no, I really love this person. I really love them. They'll say it to me. They'll say it to them in front of me. No, I love you. I love you. Yes, I, I know I beat the crud out of you last week and got put in jail for but I'm telling you, I love you. And then I have literally sat there under multiple circumstances, and this always floors me. Where the, the like, so let's say it's a domestic violence thing, where she will say, no, he really does love me. You just don't know him. You don't know him like I do. He, I, and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't want to know him like you do. I don't want to know his fist in my mouth. That's not... That's not, I don't want that type of relationship. And we'll defend that and say, no, I, I love him. I love him. How many times do you cheat on It doesn't matter. Those meant nothing. This is love. Really? I mean, we bought into this stuff so long that we take this to our relationship with God, and we do the same thing to God. God, I love you. It doesn't matter that I care more about all these other things because of my actions, attitudes, life. I, I love you. So that's why... That's why to, to change this and make sure that we understand this isn't, this isn't a feeling that we're talking about around here at Church of Briargate. We're not trying to capture a feeling. I think that'll be part of it. It will be part of it. But we're trying to capture a direction. We're pursuing God as a church. We're going to go after him. We're going we're gonna to reach out for him. And so the idea, you say, well, um, if... Uh, 
if God's everywhere at all times and he literally is living within my heart, I'm, I'm not saying this is a Christian or non-Christian thing. I'm saying you, you can not necessarily be pursuing God and be a Christian. Um, I, I struggle with that a little bit and how it works, but, but assuming that the Lord is in your life, Jesus is God over your life, I still think you have to pursue him. You say, well, he's already here. Where am I pursuing? Pursuing is not geographically. Although I think sometimes when you're pursuing God, it does look geographical. I'll explain that in a second. But, but it's, a, it's an intent of the heart, and it's a step. It's a moment in time when you say, Lord, I'm pursuing you. I'm pursuing you more than everything. I'm pursuing. I'm pursuing. I'm going after. I'm being intentional. I'm being directional. I have a plan, and I'm pursuing you. And so Luke chapter 15, I'm gonna, the, all these little sets of scriptures here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out parts that I, I don't think it's something we normally focus on. Uh, we focus on the story and the bigger intent of this, but I want to focus in on a couple little things within each of these. Luke 15, verse 17, this is uh, the prodigal son. story of the prodigal son is, and, and this is not a true story, it's a story that tells us something. There wasn't a prodigal son, an older son, and a father. The, the, this is a story that Jesus is telling us to help us know that this is how God looks at us. Okay, so the, so the prodigal son, he wakes up one day and he goes, you know what, dad's got a lot of money, I'd like to be living on my own, so dad, give me all the money that I'm entitled to, which first ain't legit. I've seen guys preach entire messages on the prodigal son money that he was given. That was his money that God had already, it was entitled to him. God already, you know, like the God wants us all to be millionaires kind of thing. That, that's hokey stuff. We're not entitled to anything. We're entitled to nothing. And, and specifically from God. We're entitled to nothing. He blesses us. He gives. He does. But we are entitled to nothing. According to Scripture, Paul says many times over, I am a bond slave to God. I am a slave to God. We have no right to anything. But then he says, you're joint heirs with Jesus. In other words, he's going to give us everything, and he is giving us everything, but we are entitled to nothing. So he goes to dad and he says, dad, all this money that I'm entitled to, I think I should have it now. Give it to me. I'm going out on my own. Gets all the stuff, goes out and just parties it up, figures out every kind of sin out there, jumps into it. Pretty soon he's broke, destitute, all that stuff, and he ends up in a, in a pig pen feeding the pigs, which is, you understand the irony of him being Jewish. Pigs are the uh, dirty animals, and uh, you can't eat them, can't have anything to do with them, can't touch them, and he's feeding them. And then it gets to the point where he's so desperate he begins to eat the food that he's feeding to the pigs, Okay. Now, here's what happens with this. Now, remember, God is the Father in this story. God is everywhere at all times. But there are a lot of places in Scripture where God shows himself to be limited to a time and space mentality so that we learn something about us and about God. Okay? So he's in the pig pen. Verse 17 of Luke 15, he says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger. And verse 18 is the focus. This is, in fact, this is the fulcrum for the whole story, really. This is, everything rises to this moment and then cascades down out of the story from this moment. Verse 18 is the key to the whole thing. Verse 18, he says, I will go home to my father. He comes to his senses and he says, I'm going to go home to my father. Now, what he thinks is going to happen is not what happens. 
We, we do the same thing. He says, well, I, he go, I'm going to go home and what does he say? Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I've thought that mentality before. God, I failed you. I know you can't use me again in this way. Um, so God, please just, you know, let me, let me wash cars for you, Jesus. You know, that kind of mentality. And, and Jesus said, I, I, that's not how I work. I called you to do something. I'm going to use you in this way. We limit ourselves. God doesn't. So, so, so immediately the father uh, fixes the circumstances in the, in the boy's thinking. So he turned home to his father while he was still a long way off. His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The father goes and runs to the son. I think this is powerful uh, that we see that imagery that God runs to the son. But here are some things that we don't really process and that we, that's in the story, but we don't think about it, is while, while the father in the story is limited to time and space because of the story, what he's saying is about God is that God limits himself in relationship to us with this. In other words, the, the father was not with the boy in the pig pen. Okay? Now, we understand in a spiritual sense that God is with us everywhere, even in the middle of the pig pen, right? But what he's saying is, in a practical, relational way, I am not with you in that pig pen. I am not good. I've heard people verbalize stuff like this. This is the wrong theological mentality, but you understand what I'm saying. When they say, you know, if you're speeding in your car, the angels get off at at 55 or whatever the speed limit is, you know, the angels step off at that speed limit. That, I don't believe that. I believe God's with us at all times. Now, the angel is not pushing your foot on the gas pedal because he's not going to be a part of that. But I do believe angels like to go fast too, and he's like in the side going, whoo, but that's just my personal opinion. But here's the thing with this. Is God going to go with us down into the pig pen? Not in a practical sense. God's not going to engage with us in sin. God's not going to engage with us in rebellion and try to separate uh, separation from me. He's not going to engage with us. But he's standing literally right there with us, waiting for us to what? Come to our senses and go back to the Father. Instantaneously. So what does that take in the story? He has to go on a journey because we see the process of I'm making a conscious decision. But for us practically, the moment we say, Jesus, I need you. I'm pursuing you. The next step is in relationship with God. The very next second is in relationship with God. But you have to pursue him. He's right there, but you've got to pursue him. And that's the part that we don't process. We've built a very lazy kind of self-focused Christianity in America. Well, it doesn't matter. God will just bless. No, God is saying you got to you got to go after Him. You got to you got to search for Him. Now you will find Him instantly when you search for Him with an open heart, pure heart before God. You know, uh, spirit and in truth, that kind of mentality. But but you still have to pursue Him. You have to search for Him. You have to go after Him. You have to serve Him. You gotta you gotta. The way I pray this regularly is chase after Him. I'm chasing after you, God. Instantly, you're going to be there with him. But you do have to make the decision to do this. So then the father runs to embrace him and said, No, you, you have full rights as the oldest son, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I'm going to cover you up. But you had to make a decision, come to your senses. So I want to go to the, the next little part of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 4. And I've been using this Scripture. I've used it four or five times in the last six months or more probably. And, and I want to come back to this and, and, and look at a, a little different here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. So then, since we have 
a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. I've talked about this before. No matter what you're tempted or, or, or tested in, the, the Jesus went through it while he was on this physical earth in physical human form. He went through it. Now, it may be in some more general senses than very specific things, but no matter what you go through specifically, you know that the Lord has been tempted in the same thing. Why is that so important? And I know different people process this differently. I mean, it doesn't mean he wanted to sin. That's not When we think of tempted, we, when we say, I am tempted, we look at it from the point of view of, of I really want that. I was at a meeting this week and um, brought in um, uh, donuts with maple and bacon all over the donuts. And I had just weighed that morning. I'm like three or four pounds down from last week. I'm like, I'm rocking this. I'm doing awesome. I'm going to be like 70 pounds within a couple months. And so I I, um, I look at, and I'm, I'm thinking, I need that. And you know, my... My soul starts, like, dragging me toward the donuts. You know, I, I couldn't, I didn't want to. I didn't want to. That's not the same thing as the word tempted when it's talking about Jesus. He really doesn't want to, and he didn't. And even though it was a temptation that was put out there for him, he said, no, it says that literally he faced all the same testings we did, but he didn't sin. Now, why is that important? Because I know when I am tested, when I am tempted, that the Lord that I can follow the Lord's example. I can follow Jesus' example, and I can say no just like he did. Why? Because he was a physical person that was tempted in everything that I'm tempted in, and he said no, which means I can say no. That's, that's the importance of what this is. But then we get the explanation of how this works. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. In other words, when you're tempted, what do you do? You come to the throne room of God and say, God, I need your help with this temptation. Do you, do you see the action mentality, the intentional purposefulness of the thought process here? It doesn't say when you're tempted, kick back in your lazy boy and assume it's all going to work out. And it doesn't say, even though I, I believe theologically you could build a case for this, but just looking at this scripture, it doesn't say when you are tempted, the Lord will jump in between you and that temptation and push that temptation away from you. It doesn't say that. What it says is when you are tempted, you make a decision to go to the throne room of God where God is sitting. That's why he specifically uses this terminology, that God is sitting in the throne room. Jesus is at his right hand. Think, why, why does he use that type of language? If God is omnipresent, if he's everywhere at the same time, why does God use the direction for himself, the description for himself is he is in the throne room, sitting on the throne, and Jesus is sitting beside him. Because he wants us to know that there has to be a directionality and also that the Holy Spirit is the one actively engaging with us and bringing us to the throne room to, to worship Jesus and know God. He is, he is specifically, the Holy Spirit's job is to take me from right here at this moment in my limited physicalness and spiritually put me in the presence of Jesus and I can worship Jesus. That's what we do as a corporate group, is we're going into the throne room of God and worshiping God. 
which tells me I have to make a decision. And, and while it's not physical, I am taking spiritual steps to a specific place spiritually that says, I'm meeting you, God, but I'm taking the steps towards you. Now, is he everywhere at the same time? Yes. Is he right here with us? Yes. But you have to make the conscious decision to step into his presence. Pursue him. It doesn't say he's going to jump between us and the sin. And, and this is my mental image when I see this. Basically, what we are saying is, I'm turning away from the temptation. I'm stepping into the presence of God. I am making the decision to pursue God. This is action. This is intentionality. It's direction. I'm pursuing God. I was thinking about Elijah. Elijah's on the, the um, uh, mountain and calls down fire, kills all the prophets, does all the stuff, tells Ahab, I'm going to whoop your ear, and does all the stuff. And so then he says, better get back to the kingdom. That's where your rear whipping's going to happen. Let's go. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. After facing down all the prophets, the fire, everything else, one woman scares him to death, makes him run. Does that resonate with anybody else? Raise your hand. You can do it. Don't be You're scared. That's why you won't raise your hand. I get it. No, I seriously, I understand that. So he goes to the cave, and God comes to Elijah and says, I think just a powerful, it's, 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 it's moved me many times over the years to, to really change my thinking, my attitude, and move me toward action, is God says, so Elijah, what are you doing here in the cave? He says, what are you doing here? What's he saying? Elijah, I didn't call you to this cave. I didn't call you to run from Jezebel. I, I called you to obey me, and this isn't obey me. This cave is not obedience territory, which also lets me know that when I'm pursuing God, sometimes it actually has practical geographical significance to it. That sometimes I have to go somewhere geographically to be obedient to God too. You, 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 that, that's, that's significant for us. Because we really have built a mentality in America. And I don't know that this is, I think we're at a place where it'll take a complete overhaul of our country before we can, as Christians, really negotiate this across the board. Is the idea that we think we choose our location to live, we choose our job, we choose everything about it. We choose whatever we choose, we choose. Now God bless us, we're following you. God is saying, I'm, where are you doing here? How did you get here? This is not where I told you to be. So he has to go back. And, and another thing we write into this is, you know, Elijah's thinking, well, if I go back and face Jezebel, I could be killed. God's like, okay. See, remember, I've talked about this before. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, the, the last hours of his life, and he says to the guys, guys, when you, when you are brought before kings and governors and all this kind of stuff, the Lord is going to, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit's going to keep you alive, protect you. You won't be put in jail. You won't be beat. You won't have all these bad things happen. He just says he's going to give you the right words to say. According to the story of Paul, the right words to say got him beheaded. I said what you wanted me to say, God. God says, great job. I'll see you in a few minutes. They're going to cut your head off. So, I mean, that's literally what happened there. That's literally what happened. You say, no, it's no, we try to spiritualize it. No, he said what the Holy Spirit said, and it got his head cut off. We don't think about it in American Christian. We've built our own theologies that disagree with God's word sometimes. 
We think if I really are obedient to God, my life will work out good. And we even point to people and say things like that. You know, they got the new job, they got the house, they got the car, they got all this stuff. And you go, wow, God's really blessing you. That is not a qualifier for that. You cannot say that those two are related. They might be, they could be, but you cannot make that assessment according to just looking at that. They could be completely missing God and just having a good job and a good house and all this stuff. Those are not related, but we've built it into American mentality, Christian mentality, that if things are going well, God's in charge. Things are going bad, God not in charge. Explain that to Paul. When he wrote the stuff about God blessing and you're prospering as your soul is prospering, you realize most of that time he was in prison, in chains, telling us that God's going to bless us. And we're like, whoo, that must mean I'm supposed to have a new car. Really? Because God wasn't giving it to Paul while he was writing that. He got his head cut off. You see how we, we do this? We build our own identity. That doesn't actually match up. And God is saying, what are you, who are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing me? Are you pursuing me or are you pursuing other things? Pursuing. I mean actively going after. Are you pursuing the Lord, his spirit, his presence? Is that the defining thing for your existence? This is why this is the first part of our, of our tagline here. Is at, at Church of Burgate, we want to pursue God. Not just wait for him to show up, or, or we want to pursue him. We want to pursue him in our daily life. We want to pursue him in our relationships, in our, in our physical health, in our, in our finances. We want to pursue God. I'm going to go after him. You say, well, he's right here. Yeah, and he still expects you to go after him. He expects you to step into his throne room. He expects you to, to figure out, come to your senses, and go back to the Father's house. He wants you to go after him, pursuing him. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life, he literally says is the gateway to life. So, so here's what we can take from this scripture. He doesn't say all other paths are gateways to death, but that's what he's saying. If he's saying the gateway to life is this singular thing, that means all the other options are not gateways to life. There's only one other option, that's gateway to death, right? There is one option, gateway to life, and that is the path that God wants us to be on, God's path for us. He says, the gateway to life is very narrow. The road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Now, here's one of the things that we do with these kind of scriptures is we build an idea of what he's saying that may not be exactly what he's saying. When he says, gateway to life is very narrow, only a few ever find it. We, we have a mentality to think, and that means that this um, path is hidden. In fact, I remember years ago, I was in like a Sunday school class or a children's church or something, and they had um, a, a flannel board. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there looking at this, and they got the pictures of the, who does not know what a flannel board is? You never seen one of those? It's, 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 it's a board with flannel on it, pretty self-descriptive there. And, and then they had these, these cutouts of like people and animals and trees and stuff like that, but it had this uh, fuzzy stuff on the back, and so when you stuck it, when you put it up against the flannel, it would stay, like, like early Velcro, right? So it would, stay, it would stay on there. And I remember looking, and it was, it was talking about the path, and it had a little rock and a bush, and the path was like behind the rock and the bush, and, and so you couldn't see it. 
And so for years and years, I thought that I had the ability to walk right by the path to life and miss it because God had hidden it behind a rock in a bush. I literally thought that for years. As an adult, I'm reading the scripture and I'm seeing the rock in the bush. And I'm like, where's the path? Where's the... I really want to serve God, but it's not easy because the path is hidden. And it dawned on me after a while. This is the first thing when it comes to this story that we need to see in, in relationship to us pursuing God. It's not hidden. This path is not hidden. It says few find it, but that has nothing to do with how visible it is. It has to do with whether you're looking. It's extremely visible. It's right there. You can't miss it. But if your eyes are on everything that the, that the highway is leading us to, you won't even have a desire to look over there. See, this is one of the things I found. No matter where you are on this planet, no matter where you are in life, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, anything, no matter where you are, if you will just look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to pursue you. And that really is your passion, your heart. I want to pursue you. If you will look down in front of you, the path is right there. You just found it. You didn't have to look for it. All you got to do is pursue Jesus and your feet will immediately be stepping on the path to life. It's not a hidden thing. The Lord is, I've had a lot of weird ways of looking at this stuff as a kid and I don't know how much. A lot of times I blame this on the church and things like that, but I, I think I was just a strange kid. But the, the, the idea, I, I really thought that Jesus, it was like, Christianity is like a scavenger hunt. His will is like a scavenger hunt. He's making it as difficult as possible because he gets some kind of weird, twisted enjoyment for making this as difficult for me as possible. And here's what I found over the years. Most of the difficulty that is in my life comes from me. It's not actually from circumstances. Sometimes there are circumstances. You can't do anything about those circumstances. I get that. But most of the time, it's because I'm doing I'm running down the highway. I, I, me and ACDC, we're on a highway to hell, and I don't care about anything God wants. I don't care about his. And then I get frustrated when my life is falling apart and things are not good. This is the most, com this is overwhelmingly the, the most um, common thing that I tell people because I, I, people regularly come to me, Pastor, this is going on in my life. What do I do? And I always say the same thing. What are you pursuing? Because the reason that you're here is an accumulation of a lot of decisions of pursuit. Well, my, my marriage is messed up. What have you been pursuing? Have you been pursuing God over that marriage? If your marriage is messed up, it's almost a guarantee that's not what you've been pursuing. doesn't mean you've been a jerk or, or you cheated on your spouse or something, but if your marriage is not strong, it's because you haven't been pursuing God over that. And you can go down the line in, in, in your life, and most of the time it's because you, you, the, where you are is where you were going. You may not have said in your heart that's where I'm going, but it's where you were going. Somewhere you have to say, okay, what path am I choosing? Is this the path that the Lord wants me to choose? Now here's another thing with it. It says that this is a narrow, it's a very narrow path. There's a lot of things that are with it. It also says it's difficult. Not difficult to find, but difficult once you found it. Why? Because sometimes, as I said earlier, sometimes... Stepping on that path 
means you're going to get your head cut off. And that's an extreme, and we don't usually have that happen in America. Um, but there are a lot of other things you can put in the same category. Lord, I chose the path, and I'm walking on your path, and it, it's not, it, it really turned out bad. This is not good. It's, it's difficult. It's devastating to me. You've got to say, okay, but stay on the path. There, there, is, there is more than just those steps on that path right now. This is a path that is leading towards someone. I'll set that in a second. But the, the mentality that it's narrow, this is something I want you to process. You, you, have to, you have to walk on this path in concert and cooperation with the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. In other words, you need people, I need people, we need each other, that kind of thing. You cannot live Christianity without other people. But it's interesting that, it, that the path is not the, the, um, the width of the body of Christ. It's one person. It's narrow. You, the steps you take on that path, you cannot do with other people. I'm not saying that the right way. You, you, you are doing, you're doing Christianity with other people, but you have to choose to step on that path by yourself. You don't do it as a group. You don't step onto the path as a church body. You step on the path as an individual. And even if no one else you know steps on that path, you're still on that path. Now, the body of Christ extends all the way around the world. This is one of our, one of our, um, our uh, phrases for our church and just defining what kind of community we are is a community without borders. My, my family in Christ are all over the world right now, and there's, there's a spiritual support and a, and, a, and a directionality that is corporate, okay? But when I step on the path, I'm stepping on there alone. I don't, I don't grab my wife's hand and step on that path. I step on that path, and then on that path, I can grab my wife's hand. You understand the difference in the two. I'm choosing to do this by myself. You can't do that in concert with other people. You have to make the choice. The path is narrow. It fits one person. Now, right next to you can be another path with somebody else, and they're doing life with Jesus and with you, but their path is different than your path. Maybe going the same direction in the big sense it is. My wife's path is not the same as my path. It's really close. It's, it's very close. It's close enough for her to touch me <laughs> regularly. But it's, it's, a, it's her path. I can't live her life for Jesus for her. And she can't live my life with Jesus for me. It's a narrow path. Well, the cool thing is, is it does lead to God and eternal life. It's going somewhere. Think about this. And that's the third point, that it's, that it's literally leading to eternal life. So, so process this. A path Saying in a normal sense, just, just thinking about, you know, you, you go, you're, on the, you're on a road up in the mountains, and you look off to the side, and there's a path right there. That tells me something. It tells me that there is something down there. See, if, if I could, this is the way we think in American Christianity. If I could step onto that path and never do anything, never go anywhere, just be, not engage people with the gospel, not pursue God in his word or pray or anything. I'm just going to stand on the path. You know what that's called? A spot. It's not called a path. A path means direction. It means you've got to do something. It means you've got to take steps. You can't just be 
and it be a path. Now, instantly, when you say, Lord, I want to follow you, instantly that path is right there in front of you. But now you've got to take steps, and another step, another step, another step, because it's a path. It leads to God. It leads to eternal life. It leads to knowing him better. It leads to, to him truly blessing us. Now, if it's a narrow path that is difficult, blessing can be defined differently by God than the way we do it, right? Or what are we pursuing? Are we pursuing God? Acts chapter 17. I love, I love the first part of this. It's not necessarily important to the overall thing, but I love the first part, so we're going to read that too. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. He is, I, I, I love how Paul does this. He takes their material and uses their material to witness to them about a God they don't know. He's using their gods to tell them about the, the one true God. He's using their mentalities that they created I mean, Paul's tricking them here at some particular level. He's pulling them in with all kinds of stuff that they designed. They built it. They created it. And then at the last, he's like, oh, and by the way, it's a different God. This is his name, and he's in charge of everything. You guys got that part wrong. He, he, I love how he witnesses to this. To me. It's one of the most creative examples in Scripture and in life I've ever seen. And Paul does this. <clears throat> and he says, he's the God who made the world and everything in it. Well, those gods there don't qualify for that. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. Human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. Which the basic idea of every other religion on the planet is, it doesn't include intimacy with your God. It doesn't include connection and, and a relationship. It includes you doing something for that God to earn its reward back to you. Pretty much every religion on the planet is designed that way. That's why I said last week, I don't see this, I don't see Christianity as a religion. I have a relationship with Jesus. He is alive. He is God over everything. I have a relationship with him. That's not a religious structure. That's a relationship. All other mentalities out there do not include their God is alive. He's engaging them in closeness and eternalness and transcendence and intimacy all at the same time. We don't, we don't see that. And so I, don't, I really don't process um, what I, my relationship with Jesus as religion. But he's saying, guys, in your religions, you have all these different things. My God doesn't fit any of those categories. He's the one in charge of everything, including your gods. For one, from one man, he created all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Verse 27, his purpose, God, God's purpose was for the nations to seek after God and per perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Don't you love that, that imagery? Don't you love that, that concept? God's purpose. He puts this within us to know him and desire him and to hunger for him. And his purpose is for us to feel our way toward him. Now guess what? You will always find him. If you're seeking him, Spirit and truth, that kind of mentality. If you're truly seeking God, not religion, not all this, if you're truly seeking God, you will find him. But he said he puts this within us, his purpose 
for, for all of this planet, his purpose for everything is that we would search for him, that we would pursue him, that we would feel our way toward him and find him. I love that. It's amazing that he gives us this opportunity. I want to pursue him. I want to go after him. I don't want to just wait for him to fix stuff. I want to go after him. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel his way toward him and find him. And even though there's distance and separation seemingly connoted here, then he says, though he's not far from any one of us. You're feeling your way toward him. You're trying to find him, but he's standing right there. Why don't you stand with me? So we as a church, as a body, we want to be a, 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 a group of people that we're pursuing God, that we're, we're intentionally, actively pursuing God. I'll get into the reaching people next week. I want to pursue God. Why don't you bow your heads? Lord, we, we come before you knowing that you're in charge. You're God. You're God over everything. Lord, we are so small in comparison to you, so limited. You are God. Lord, you give us the chance, the opportunity to to step into your presence, to step into the throne room. God, we we want to search our way towards you, feel our way towards you. But Lord, we know you're standing right here. So God, help me to turn my eyes towards you completely in every area of my life, Lord, that that I don't want to pursue anything else but the degree that I pursue you. And I pray for every one of us in here. Lord, break the, break the strongholds that I believe are built up and are so very strong in our American culture. But Lord, we can, we can pursue everything and it's all equal. God, help us to see that that's destructive. Lord, I want to get on the path towards you and I want to pursue you. I want to pursue you completely, solely. I want to pursue you. And I pray that for every one of us in here. Jesus' name. Let me ask two questions. Keep your head bowed with me for just a little bit more. First question is, do, do you, this is this is more of a salvation question. I'm going to get to kind of the pursuing part next, but I, you can't really pursue the Lord unless you start by saying, Jesus, I need you to be Savior over my life, my Redeemer, my Lord. So we have to start there. Jesus, you, I need you. So if you're saying Jesus is not God over my life right now, but I need him to be, I want him to be, then we're, we're all going to pray together here in just a second. But if that's you and you say, I need Jesus to be in charge of me, I'd like to raise your hand real quick. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Anybody else? Yeah, quite a few hands going up. Okay, what, what we want to do is, is establish this first. Lord Jesus, you're in charge of me. You're my God. Your God over me. So let's all pray together. Repeat this prayer with me and, and uh, let's do the best we can to make it our own. I'm just giving us the framework, but let's pray this together. Lord God, I need you to be in charge of me. My God, my Lord, my Savior, I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. I'm going to spend the rest of my life serving you. Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, help that to sink deep into our spirit, for us to see it, to get it, to realize that that, that we're serious about that, that immediately now, 
that path is before us. And immediately now, our, we just took a step onto the path that you have for us. So Lord, we want to pursue you. So, so generally for all of us, if, you, if you're saying right now, through something we read or through something I said, you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not pursuing the Lord like I need to. I want to pursue him. I'm, I'm not. You can. There's a lot of qualifiers for that, but you know in your heart, are you pursuing him? Are you going after him? You say, I need to. I need to change some things. I need to do some stuff differently. I, I, I need to. I need to head down this path strongly, pursuing God, and God's convicting or pulling you toward this, or whatever. Um, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick and, and keep your hand up. You're saying, Lord, I want to pursue you. I want to pursue you. I want to pursue you, Lord. You see our hands. Lord, you know, you know what our heart is saying as we lift our hands. Lord, we want you. We want you. Lord, I want to pursue you. And I pray this across our whole church. Lord, that we will be a church that will pursue you above everything. God, rearrange our priorities. Rearrange our understanding of life. The things that we're so passionate about. Lord, help us to be passionate about you. To pursue you with our heart, our soul, our mind. I'm going to pursue you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to, want to leave you with this kind of action step here. Do something this week. And, and this is, I think, there's some, I think there's some importance for this kind of mentality. Do something this week that will put action to the mentality, Lord, I'm pursuing you. Put some kind of physical action to this. That, that will that it's, it's probably more for you than it is anything else. But just to put physical action and say, Lord, I'm going to do this. Maybe pursuing him is you need to spend some time, you know, in the work, in the break room, reading your Bible or, or I don't know. I mean, just put some very physical things to this. Pray for somebody. Talk to him about Jesus. Do something. Put some action and say, Lord, I am pursuing you. I'm going to break some time away for just you, getting your word, all this. Pursue God. Put some physical action to it. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know that Jesus loves them, died for them, he's got a plan for them. Think about it. Be, be intentional about the people around you and that God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Hug their neck. Don't, don't uh, miss the opportunity. Harry was standing back there and he was walking earlier. Uh, congratulate him on that. We will see you. Have a great rest of your afternoon.